Good morning, guys. There we go. Uh, Man, I don't know about y'all because you guys are coming to the second gathering, but it was so hard to wake up this morning. Um, Man, daylight saving is not my friend. Like, I want my hour back. Um, It's hard as a parent. Um, Every hour of sleep counts when you're a parent. And and I'm not going to lie, I woke up and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm tired. I want my hour back. Um, But I'm here, and I'm excited to be here um, as we begin to worship together and continue our series in 1 Thessalonians. For those of you that do not know me, my name is Juan Kim. I am the church planting resident here um, at the well. Ooh, I like that. I expect all of you guys to come with me. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just messing. Um, and I'm also in charge of Setup Team, and I'm representing the shirt today. Um, if you guys want to know more information about Setup Team, um, get at me. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about how we can set up chairs and, um, and, and really just build God's kingdom in the way that we serve. Um, but, man, I want to um, continue our series here as Paul is encouraging the church to keep pressing on, and as Tori's saying, that we will continue what to excel still more. What does it mean to excel still more? To continue to live out the gospel in the city and make an impact for the kingdom of God. And if you haven't heard the sermon last week, I encourage you to listen to um, T's sermon on the first, sorry, T is Tori, Tori's sermon on the first chapter. That's what I call him. For some reason, thugs like abbreviate all things, like T and J. And, uh, but anyways, Tori's sermon <laughs> last week. And he really set up the series and the direction that we're heading. Because in the first chapter, Paul is concerned about reorienting our hearts to make God the center and the focus. That Paul is calling the church to excel still more, to keep pressing on. Do not settle um, as he preached in boldness the gospel. And then in in the second chapter, Paul then is saying, how then are we going to live in boldness? How are we going to live in boldness? Are our lives, are we concerned about the mission of the gospel? That if we are changed the body of the gospel and have experienced what it means to be someone who was once dead but now alive, that you cannot be radically saved and just sit there and do nothing. If he has truly saved you, you are wrestling and living out a life that wants to proclaim the mystery and the beauty of Jesus to others. That we will see people and that they may experience the beauty of the gospel. That we are concerned about making disciples. But the question that we have is, how do we do that? How do we do that? And here's the thing. Do you believe that God is here to serve you or do you have a heart to serve God? Do you believe that God is here to serve you or do you have a heart to serve God? Do we try to achieve our own agenda, our own cause, or do you align your life to God's? Because here's the thing, no matter how much air you swallow, it can never fill you if you are hungry. And you, if you live a life according to your own plan, 
This cannot ultimately satisfy you unless you begin to align your life with God's. And here's the thing, if we cannot live for someone bigger than ourselves, when we refuse to live for God, then ultimately we just live for ourselves. We make ourselves the center of the universe. And when that happens, we don't begin to see people for people, but we begin to see people to meet our own agenda. We don't care for people. We don't see the things God sees. And I want to challenge us as a church. Do you live for something that is bigger than yourself? Tim Keller, a pastor in New York, um, one of my favorite pastors, says this. He says, the Christian gospel is not a message for what you can do for God. It is a message and proclamation for what God has done for you. The Christian gospel is not a message for what you can do for God. It is a message and proclamation for what God has done for you. And here's the thing. I think so many times in my own life, the care and love I have for others, oftentimes it's not because I consider them before me or I have God as, as, as the person that I live for, but because I'm out to get mine. That oftentimes I do things to make me feel that I'm better of a person or I have some kind of agenda. And somehow I create lines where people are indebted to me. And here's the thing. If you don't serve and love something that is bigger than yourself, then it's impossible to love. Life is to live for God. And as that begins to happen, we begin to live lives approved by God with a mission and a vision that is bigger than ourselves, that is for eternity. Let me ask you guys, do you live for eternity or do you live for yourselves? And that's what Paul's getting at here. So in chapter 2, we get the pastoral heart of Paul. This is his heart. This is his, um, they say that this chapter really is a chapter that you see the depths of Paul's love for the church. And as I read this this morning, almost afternoon, I want you guys to hear the pastoral heart that Paul has. That as I read it, that this is a message that is for us as a church. So without further ado, let's go ahead and let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you guys are um, here and you do not have your uh, Bible, please raise your hand. Um, there's ushers um, that have Bibles. We want here at the well to be a church that is in the word and of the word. Um, and that is our gift for you guys. <coughs> you, um, you guys can take that with you um, as you um, begin to be in the word. And you can also follow along on the YouVersion app. Um, there's notes that you guys can take and follow along in that way. But let's go ahead and let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. This is what the word of the Lord says. It says this, and hear this. It says, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated in Philippi, as you know, we had boldness 
in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. And it says, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately um, desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we worked night and day that we might not be burden, a, a burden to any of you, while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God, you are witnesses, and God also. How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in the manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And it says, and we also thank God constantly for this that when you received the word of God, which has heard from us, you accepted it not as a word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffer the same things that your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon, come upon them at last. This is the word of the Lord. I hope you hear the pastoral tone that Paul is getting at here in Thessalonians chapter 2. My transitions this morning is going to be this. It's, it's making disciples in boldness. Making disciples in boldness. And then I'm going to make a transition to say making disciples as parents. Making disciples as parents. And then we're going to land on nothing in vain. Nothing in vain. So what does it mean to make disciples in boldness? Because in, in verse 2 that I just read, it says, But though we had already suffered, had been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, he says, We had boldness in our God to declare you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. And here's the thing. Do you live to make disciples and make much of Jesus as we continue to excel still more? Or are you concerned about building your name? And I think what Paul is getting at, and here in 1 Thessalonians 2, is that being unashamed of the gospel, even in times of opposition, Paul is saying, church, live in boldness. Live in boldness. Paul, who moves from evangelism to the call and seeing the lives of people in discipleship, that Paul is giving a heart for the church and being pastoral as he is caring for the church. And oftentimes, here's the thing, we pray for salvation, but as we do that, we also need to pray for the continued work of that salvation over that person's life in a life of discipleship. Do you pray over discipleship and boldness. 
How does that happen? It happens in boldness. And I think as, men, as people so many times, we are about getting something instead of what? Giving something. That we have a need to get something, but true following the gospel is not about getting, but a call, what? To give yourself to something that is greater than you. That we will give ourselves and have boldness to live outside of ourselves and live for others that the gospel will be known. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing. So many times we're scared to give our lives to something else. So what do we do? We live in our own comforts. We live our own agenda. But what would you rather live for? Your own comfort? Or God's comfort? It takes boldness as a church for us to live for something that is beyond ourselves. That we as a church, in excelling still more, that we will be what our name is, a well. John 4, 14 says this, Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That we are a well of life for others. That as we continue to give ourselves to the city of Austin, that we find joy in becoming a fountain that gives what people life. And think about it. Do you believe that you, what you do and the work that you do gives life to others? Or does it only give life to yourself? Because one is for eternal and one is death. And Paul is emphasizing this point over and over again. Because opposition is arising against them. And he's reminding the church six times in this chapter. He says, you know. You remember, <coughs> for you know, you witnessed us. And in all of this, he's reminding the church of how he gave himself to them. That even in the suffering and shame that Paul came in boldness, what? To declare the gospel. That even if the city ran Paul out because of the message he shared, he shared it in boldness. That Paul, an apostle who experienced the resurrection of Jesus, who called him from one who, was, who persecuted the church to be the one who will be persecuted, that Paul understood the call of boldness, that he is to make disciples by giving up his life. What do we live for? Sorry, I was thirsty dramatic pause and I think oftentimes in our lives we posture ourselves as people who are rulers instead of servants there are so many times in my life I hate to admit it but I will say I will surrender most of my life to God except for this one thing oftentimes that is my own comfort does your obedience have a limit does your obedience to God have a limit or do you live in boldness in the one who does the approving? 
Because that's what verse, says, verse 4 says. But just as we, as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man. Paul is understanding that discipleship making begins in boldness. And we know that. Because in the early chapters of Acts, in chapter 4, this is what it says. So in the early chapters of Acts, when the church began to start, started, um, Peter and John went to go preach with boldness the gospel. And as he does it, it says this. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, who were preaching, and perceived that they were um, uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been what, with Jesus. And if you read on in that chapter, what happens is Peter and John come with boldness, and as that happens, they get persecuted. And as they get persecuted, you think that they would go to a prayer meeting and pray that the Roman guards would relent or they would, um, uh, the laws would be changed and all these different things. But what does the early church pray for? They pray for this. It says, Oh no, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to speak with your word. It says, with all boldness. They pray for boldness. I don't know about you guys, but I don't sit here and pray that God would give me boldness in the way that I live my life. In the way to give up the things that are in my life, that I don't pray that God give me boldness. And here's the thing. I think oftentimes we think of boldness as a personality type. Man, that person, yeah, he can be bold. He's loud and, you know, and it's a personality type. And we think like that. But what boldness is, is to be clear in the face of fear. To have confidence, not in yourself, but in the one that you are living for. What do you have boldness in? Your career? How much money you make? The house that you have? Or do you have boldness in something that is bigger? Do we as a church pray for boldness, not only in the proclamation of the gospel, but also living out a life that says, God, help me give my life to others. God calls us to give by giving up ourselves for one another. Do you live like this? This is how he's exhorting the church to excel still more, to give yourself up. But how do we do this? How do we practically do this? Making disciples as parents. My second point, making disciples as parents. Paul gives out two powerful illustrations for this to be demonstrated. So verse 7 and 8, this is what it says. It says, But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. What a powerful analogy of what it means to love one another. Paul's heart as a mother. Man, I'm going to show, um, share an embarrassing story with you guys. Um, I am a very light sleeper. Like, if somebody makes any kind of noise, I will wake up instantly, and it takes me forever to go back to sleep. So my roommates in college and in, in, uh, in seminary, they would troll me by like, um, like I had, I had one friend that would literally rattle the doorknob because I would wake up, and then he would just leave because he knows that I wouldn't go back to sleep. No joke. No joke. 
And as a light sleeper, you can imagine having a nursing infant uh, means a lot of sleepless nights, right? Because um, infants have to feed what, every three to four hours. So when our son Isaiah was born, I would wake up every time he would cry. Poor me, right? <laughs> and I remember this one night where I, would, I put my head down thinking I was going to wake up soon, but I had just passed out. I was out cold, and I woke up, and like I saw the sun, and it was coming through the blinds, and I was like really well rested, and you know I did a stretch, and I thought about it, and I was like, oh my gosh, I have a miracle child. My son sleeps through the whole night. And I was like excited, and I remember like turning over, and I looked towards Christine, and I was like, hon, we have a miracle child. And I opened my eyes, and her eyes are like bloodshot red. <laughs> and her hair is messy. And she looks at me, and she's like, what? He woke up every single hour last night. She was like, it was one of the hardest nights. And I remember so vividly at that time, Isaiah starts crying again, and she has a smile on her face, and she still goes and grabs Isaiah to nurse him. Seeing Christine nurse Isaiah has been one of the most encouraging displays of sacrificial love that I've ever seen. That her taking care of Isaiah, getting a couple hours of sleep a night, and constantly dying to self and literally giving life to our son by nursing him was a demonstration of love that I've never seen. In fact, in fact, there's so many times, and, and husbands will, will admit this, that there's times where you see your wife nursing your infant and it moves you to worship because you begin to understand a deeper love. And this is Paul's heart in building discipleship. With the church in Thessalonians, he says, do you love one another with a gentle heart, like a nursing mother? That we would die to self, that not only will we share the gospel to one another, but we will actually share our own selves to one another. And Paul is encouraging the church in the midst of what, uh, that sharing, that we will demonstrate a real, authentic life that is encouraging, deepening, that in one sense that we will share not only our lives with one another, but that we will share our very souls with one another in building up the church. And he's saying, excel still more. Do you have, is your, friend, or your, is your community that you live in, do you love one another in this way? Man, um, the staff team, um, man, I have been on multiple staffs in multiple churches and a lot of times where um, the situation wasn't the best where I felt like I had something to prove or I wasn't able to be honest about the struggles that I was going through and the thing that I love about here at the well that I've been like God has been healing my heart in so many ways has been the weekly staff meetings where we do life together and every single meeting that we have, the thing that I'm reminded about is that we don't need to isolate, hide, or be in secret 
But since our confidence is in Christ, that we are able to give our lives to one another. And in that, that we are pushing back darkness. And it gives room for the love of Christ to be displayed. And every single time, every single Monday and Tuesday, after I come out of the meeting, it gives me a heart that says, man, I just want to excel still more. Every meeting that I have with Tori, who disciples me, and I meet with him one-on-one, every single meeting has been so life-giving as I am able to be vulnerable about the struggles that I have, and he constantly reminds me of Jesus. And not only do I share with him that he also is vulnerable with me and shares the struggles that he has, that I can remind him of Jesus. There's a heart of gentleness and confidence that we have that we're able to share with one another that really gives us life. And see, what Paul is saying here, he's giving up his position of power to demonstrate an affection of love for the church in Thessalonica. Showing tender affection like a mother who is nursing an infant. And the well, Austin, do we love and have affection for one another in this way? Will you keep your hearts open for one another? Are you gentle and loving in this way? Verse 9 through 12. This is the second analogy that, that Paul gives. He says this. He says, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. While we proclaim to you the gospel of God, since you are witnesses and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in the manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom of glory. The second analogy that Paul uses here is the exhortation and encouragement of a father. And the Greek word here is one of my favorite words for discipleship. The word Paul uses here is the word parakaleo. Parakaleo. And the prefix of the word para means to walk with. So that's where we get the word paramedic. Right? A paramedic is somebody who walks with alongside of you, comes inside of you when you're sick. And kaleo is a suffix, and that word used here is, is, it means to call or direct somebody. It means to call or to direct somebody. And the word is used because it demonstrates the heart of Paul in loving the church. He is saying true discipleship is the call to walk with, but to also direct out of love. And I think oftentimes we do one or the other. Many times we want to um, be each other's cheerleaders. And we walk with one another. Even if that person is wild in, we don't want to call and direct. We just want to cheer and encourage, even though we know that what the truth is. But on the flip side, I think there's also times where we want to call and direct and, 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 and establish um, what is truth, but we don't want to take the time to what? To a walk alongside with. And if you want to do one and not the other, we aren't loving that person. We are actually loving ourselves because we're just scared. Paul is calling us to what? Exhort and to encourage, to live a life that is parakaleo, 
And it's interesting that Paul would use this word because in most cases of the New Testament, this word is used when describing the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the ultimate one who walks with and calls out. The Spirit convicts but walks with. And I think Paul uses his word intentionally because when, as people give up ourselves to love one another in this way, it makes room for the Spirit to work and to build and for the gospel to be known. That our relationships build discipleship as we give up ourselves and live in a way that says parakaleo that we are loving one another in spirit and in truth. And the Holy Spirit begins to relieve and reveal the power of the truth of the gospel in our lives. And here's the thing. Do you live in that way? Man, in my own life, I remember being loved in this way. I would not be standing here if I was not loved like a, a mother or if I was not loved like a father in, para, in the way of Pericaleo. And I say that because here's the thing, like your boy was wild and, and, and when, when, while I was growing up. There were so many nights and so many times throughout high school where I was out partying, drinking, getting in fights, doing all these things, living a life that is just in sin. But here's the thing, every single night, no matter what time I would walk in, whether it be two in the morning or four or five in the morning, I would open the door and I remember I would be like half drunk and I would open the door and I would see somebody kneeling, praying for my salvation. And it wasn't a ghost, it was my mom. <laughs> Sometimes I thought it was a ghost. Every single night for six years she would pray for the salvation of her son. Every single night she would pray for the salvation of her son. Man. And I would come home and I would like be in a fight and I would be like bloodied up and stuff and you know she would come and you know she'd be praying and then you know she's like oh what happened and I'd be like oh I fell down some stairs and like, I'm like, that's going to work. And then she would always fix me a meal. And she would always feed me. I think that's why I love food so much. Because there's healing in food. She would fix me a meal. Every single night. She prayed for six years. Every morning she would wake up for six years for the salvation of her son. That I'm here today preaching the gospel. And not only that, but there was encouragement and exhortation that my older brother had for me every single day. Where he would be an older brother, a typical older brother, who would exhort and, and yell and, 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 and hit me and do all these things. But he would also be so encouraging by feeding me and walking with me, letting him know that how frustrating I am, but how much I loved I am. And here's the thing. Do we love one another in making disciples as parents? 
that we give sacrificially, like mother nurturing an infant, that we give like a father in exhortation and encouragement. And Paul is calling us to love as a mother and love as a father, and both of them are calling to die to self and live for someone who is greater than us. And here's the thing. Just like the church in Thessalonians, there are times when we begin to, what, we begin to doubt there are times where we get opposition. If we are going to be honest with ourselves, there are many times we ask, does what we do in discipleship really make a difference? And here's the thing. I've been a youth pastor for 10 years. For 10 years. And this has been the doubt that has come into my mind every single week that I begin to realize, like, man, does what I do for youth students who are in high school make a difference? Because there's so many times that I would preach the gospel. I'd be like all fired up. I'll be sweating and doing all these things and preparing all these things. And I'll be like, and you would hear, see the kids' faces. Sometimes they would light up and they would say amen and all these things. And just a second later, they would go out and I'll look at their Instagrams and I'm like, man, you guys be wilding. And so many times I would be discouraged. But how does Paul have such boldness in loving the church and discipleship? Because he understands if he trusts in the one who is bigger than him, that nothing is in vain. So that's my third transition. Nothing in vain. 13, it says this, And we also thank God constantly for this. For when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you brothers became imitators of the church of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. So what is he doing? Paul is thanking God constantly for the ability of the church in Thessalonians to not only preach the gospel, but to live out the gospel in loving one another. He's saying, you guys are killing it. But he's still saying, excel still more. Do you see the pastoral care that is shown in Paul in this chapter? And here's the thing. He sees the people. He understands their hearts. He meets them where they are. And he's able to do this because he understands that ultimately it's God who sees him. It's God who knows him by name. It's God who delivered him out of darkness into light. That Paul understood that he was dead but now alive. That he had all these things, he had all these accolades, that those mean nothing compared to Jesus. And Paul knows this, and he demonstrates this. He exhorts and he encourages the church here to continue to excel still more, that they understood the one who does the approving, that they are becoming imitators. And Paul is pointing them back to Jesus. Throughout this chapter, Paul is saying, we proclaim to you the gospel, but not only did we proclaim it, we also lived it. For you know we preach the gospel, but not only that our conduct was blameless also, isn't that what Christ does for us? And isn't that who we get in Jesus? Isn't it Christ who is the lion and the lamb? Isn't it Christ who speaks truth but walks with, is gentle and loving? That as Libby said, that he would mourn and weep with Mary and Martha. 
even though he knew that the resurrection of Lazarus was around the corner. It's ultimately the gospel that demonstrates this for us, <coughs> that Jesus becomes the example of what it means to die to self. Because isn't it on the cross that one of the last words he says, he encourages and exhorts, he sees his, Mary, his mother Mary weeping and crying, and what does he do? He tells John to take care of his mother. He knows. Even though he would see his mother three days later. But not only does Jesus demonstrate this for us as an example, he actually is a complete fulfillment of it on the cross. He is the one that got what? Treated like a criminal. He was the one that was abandoned by the father. He was abandoned by his mother. That Jesus would literally die to self by becoming human and going to the cross, emptying himself, that he knew, he who knew no sin would become sin that we would have hope. That we now live in freedom. And it's through the death that once and for all, for all who um, believe, now get to live in the freedom that Christ conquers death. By what? By resurrecting from death. That now we get life. That we get a purpose to live for. That we get to share in the mission to live a life that is beyond ourselves. That he not only is our example, but he takes upon himself to completely empty himself. That Jesus would carry the cro our cross to die. That it's Jesus that lives a life that now we get to share in message of the gospel. That we get to partner with Jesus who's alive. Do you believe in someone who's greater than you or do you believe in your own agenda? Do you believe in someone who's greater than you that says that I've died and conquered death and sin once and for all and now I'm alive? Or do you live for yourself? That's Christ who comes in boldness. That ultimately it's Christ who gives up all things that we gain everything that we not only share the gospel, that we as a church will give up our lives to the mission of living out the gospel, that we now have freedom to give our lives in trusting in the one who will not fail us, who took our place, and now we get that freedom. And here's the joy. In verse 19 it says this, For what is our hope, our joy, or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? And this is what Paul says. He says, Is it not you? You are our glory and joy. Now Paul is saying, he's saying, seeing the gospel lived out in you, church, that is our hope and joy and crown. It creates a boldness that gives Paul the heart to go beyond himself because the mission of the church is always worth it. No matter the opposition, no matter the opposition, and this is why in verse 1, he starts off, and I'm ending with this, is this. It says in verse 1, for all, you yourselves know, brothers, and he says, that our coming to you was not in vain. Now, living a life of discipleship, here's the thing I want to encourage you with, that as we as a church begin to continually to excel still more, that we understand that nothing in the name of Jesus is in vain. 
that we can labor in the gospel, that pure discipleship, that we can give ourselves and that we can pour out and pray for the salvation of your son for six years, but that that will not go to void because nothing in the name of Jesus is in vain. Because our labor in living our lives for someone who is bigger than ourselves says the proclamation of the true, effectual gospel goes forth. And Paul is saying that it's never in vain. He says it's over and over and again because I know what we preach, the gospel. And because I know that was my heart, I know that me coming to you was not in vain. Excel still more. Live for the gospel we aren't in charge of saving. We are in charge of the doing. And Paul is saying over and over again, over again don't you see the gospel is being worked out even in my own life as I love you as a mother and a father, that as I give my life for others, that even myself, I begin to see the joy of Christ in all aspects of my life, that coming to you is still not in vain. Excel still more. Brothers and sisters, you living out a name for Jesus that someone that is greater than you is never in vain. You may feel discouraged. You may ask the question, how much more longer, Lord? But it is not in vain. This week has been um, a little bit challenging for me in a lot of ways. And actually the last two weeks where there's a lot of spiritual warfare that's happening, a lot of doubts that are coming into my mind. And um, as I'm in charge of setup team, I oftentimes think about like, man, does me setting this chair up at seven in the morning every Sunday make a difference? And I think about that. And as I was doing that and thinking about that and really doubting and not living a life that says that Jesus is greater than me, this last Tuesday, we were, as a staff team, talking about celebration. And Libby talked about some of these things. But the thing that was beginning to move me was that 40 people are in the missions class. We, as a staff, just entered into a new office building, and we're already running out of space. Because there's people that are, like, in the bleachers and uh, crowding shoulder to shoulder because they want to learn what it means to be on mission for Jesus. College CGs launched and seeing 10 to 20 people coming per group. College Praise and Prayer Night was this last Wednesday, and we had 60 to 70 students and adults there worshiping and praising Jesus. This church started with 11. We prayed last week for Huli. I don't know if she's not here, but she was here this morning worshiping with us. Yes, let's give a hand for that. Jacob Brown came with a boldness to have you guys list your prayer requests. And 230 of you guys submitted your prayer requests that the staff team took hours to pray for. And I'm encouraged because every single time I would email or text one of the people that I was praying for, I almost got an instant answer that said, wow, Chuan." God just answered my prayer, your prayer. Tori receives emails for this past two weeks that people are saying the wealth has to change their lives for eternity. And I sit here and I think about all these things 
The gospel is never in vain. The work that you do for someone that is greater, and it's knowing that Jesus loves you, that that is not in vain, that God will do the work. Do you as a church, and we as a church, believe in someone that is greater than ourselves and live for somebody who would ultimately die for us and give up all things that we now have life? Excel still more. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, O Lord, for the celebration that we are able to have. We thank you, O Lord, that Paul can encourage the church in what it means to live a life of discipleship, that he has boldness in what it means to sacrificially give up himself, not because he knows it or not because he knows better, but because he believes in the one who ultimately gave up all things. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who went to the cross, who loves us like a mother, who loves us like a father. And loves us in a way that says parakaleo. So Father, we thank you, O Lord, for the joy of what it means to be saved. We thank you as a church we pray, O oh Lord, that we would have boldness, not in our lives, but in the one that is greater. Will we live our lives for you in boldness? We thank you for all things. We love you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name.